Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Today, I'm joined by Ken Skershej. He's the executive director of the Maryland State Arts Council. He's facilitating Pivoting Toward Creativity, an Embrace session for Maryland's creative teaching force on Monday, May 11th from 1 p.m. to 1.45 p.m. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. Peter, thank you for having me. Thank you, especially just for taking time, because I know as the head of the State Arts Council, there is a lot going on and there is a lot that MSAC is doing to respond uh, thoughtfully, but with the urgency necessary to what's happening right now for Maryland's artistic community. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's wonderful also that you could take time to present a workshop. Can you tell us a little bit about what Pivoting Towards Creativity uh, will be about and some of the mechanics of it? The workshop is a marriage between the creative process and a spiritual practice that checks in with where we are emotionally and normalizes our feelings by comparing them to an objective emotional guidance scale. It's based on the work of Esther Hicks. So you identify, you know, where are you today? What are you feeling today? Connect that feeling with your environment, with the world as we know it right now. And then eventually through the creative process, project from where we're sitting today to a year from now, and imagine what is possible, what artistic or aesthetic responses are possible a year from now based on what we're learning today. A lot of the workshops that have been so far, I'm thinking specifically of something like The Power of the Prompt, Michael Bell's, have focused on reflection in the moment and in some ways sitting with a sense of of full presence where we are now. I know also that Nan Park's workshop is going to cover that as well, but this seems to have its a duality of both acknowledging our present and sitting in that, but then also looking into the future, which I think for most of us is very difficult right now. Actually imagining that future, I think will be a a very mind expanding task for a lot of people right now. Thanks, thanks. Um, I am not only a big believer in, but I hope a model of someone who uses a consistent envisioning practice in my own life personally and professionally. I believe strongly in building toward where where we're going, what could be better, what could be expansive, and how can we help elevate one another into our greatest potential as artists now and in the future. This is a very frightening time for people, for independent artists, for arts organizations, for teaching artists, for the creative sector in general. And all of the conversations that we are having at the State Arts Council, as well as the conversations we're having with our partners like you at Ames or Maryland Citizens for the Arts or the Fine Arts Office at the State Department of Education, while the conversations are grounded in our current reality, 
My goal is always to guide us to project forward. Where are we headed? And what does that brighter day look like based on what we're learning right now? Uh, You've given a little teaser for our workshop. Is there anything you feel comfortable teasing in a sense about your own vision or, or the vision coming from one or two of these conversations about the future of the arts in Maryland? You can say no comment if that's appropriate. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's actually very, uh, that's a really fair question. I would say in response to that, that we as artists and as the art sector have a role to play in lifting up this time, in propelling it forward. But if we can buy into a broader vision of that, The truth is that there are multiple sectors across our state, across the nation and globally who are placing energy in that forward moving direction. And so the workshop is a lot about that. We are not facing this on our own as artists. You know, Peter, when I think about things, it sounds so obvious, but as artists, we tend to get into, you know, our lane and into our work. But when you think about something as simple as the number of people who wish to attend an Orioles game or wish to attend a Celine Dion concert at the Royal Farms Arena, suddenly this idea of gathering in large groups has a level of importance and impact that is beyond what we consider the typical art sector, the typical creative community. So, you know, the point of all of this is our energy is all headed in the same direction. And I hope that this workshop will simply connect us individually with that greater vision. I want to pivot a little bit to talk about your own practice as an artist, either past or present. I'd love to talk about ways you feel like you are practicing creatively to help get through this time on a day-to-day basis, as, as well as talk about your background as an artist. People have referred to me throughout my career as a triple threat. Ah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. And I don't really like that term, but it just so happened that in my training, starting as, you know, an 11-year-old kid here in Baltimore City, I started training in all of the classical art forms. So I trained in ballet, in classical vocal performance, and eventually in my college years, classical acting techniques. So I think that any success that I knew as a performer came from the confidence I gained in that more classical approach. So, you know, I have performed in all three of those genres independently, and I have performed professionally combining them. So that leads to when I am quarantined Mm -hmm. with a partner working just in one room away from me all day as well. I try to sing a bit every day for uh, somewhere around 30 minutes. I have a movement sequence, uh, yoga and strengthening, as well as a ballet bar that I kind of rotate through also every day. And then from the intellectual or emotional, emotionally connected side through acting, I journal every day. I do a lot of writing. So yes, I am conscious about keeping up my creative practice because not only the intellectual lift and the envisioning lift of my position at the Arts Council, but frankly, in this time, the emotional requirement of listening to artists and listening to leaders of organizations and helping them navigate this time 
requires a level of self-care that is surprising to me. At the end of the day, like all of us, I'm pretty worn out. And so the, the commitment to my creative practice is a wonderful balance to that. Listening itself can take a, a lot of energy and investment if you're actually listening. And I know that at this moment, uh, in between the creative conversations that MSAC has undertaken, as well as a number of other initiatives that you yourself personally, as well as the organization are doing a lot of listening. I'd love to hear a little more about how did your engagement with artistic practice begin? I come from a big Polish family in South Baltimore. And um, there was this moment in time when my family decided that I should learn more about my Polish heritage. So they sent me to Polish language school in East Baltimore, and I was 10 or 11 years old. Next door to the Polish language class, there was a children's Polish folk dance group that rehearsed. And so I joined that group as a dancer. So that was at the Polish National Alliance. I was studying ballroom dance around the corner at the Polish home club. And it just came clear to me that I had this physical connection. I discovered that I enjoyed movement. There is a a strong tradition of singing that goes along with Polish folk dancing. Mm -hmm. So I discovered a singing voice and we were performing a lot, truly growing up on the stage with that company. By the time I was 13, I was appointed as artistic director (laughs) Uh, which is completely ridiculous, right? (laughs) It's ridiculous. And in hindsight, there's something, there's a little bit of child abuse happening there, (laughs) Mm, right? That's too much responsibility for a kid to take. But it, it was a wonderful way to grow up and it allowed me to find my artistic voice at a very young age. It also perhaps pushed you into a position of having to think on the level of large-scale vision. So that muscle was beginning to be exercised from an age when most people are obviously thinking mostly about school. Right, right, right. So can you talk about the way your performance career then transitioned to being involved on the, I would say, decision-making level for uh, arts institutions? So I realized when I started as the artistic director for the folk dance company. So first it was a children's folk dance company. There was also simultaneously an adult dance company in Baltimore. And I don't remember now, maybe I was 16 or 17. The adult dance company asked if we could merge, the two companies merge. And I became the artistic director and choreographer of of all that. And so this was at age 13. Well, now I'm probably 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still um, ridiculous. It's still ridiculous. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. You're right. You're right. (laughs) So it was large. It was, you know, a company of, I don't know, 40 dancers and singers. We had a 12 piece orchestra that traveled with us and more than 1200 costumes. It was a huge, huge organization. So um, that company sent me to Poland to study. Uh, choreography and and, uh, ethnography. And so I went there and realized through the study of modern dance composition that I really wanted to be a choreographer. So I studied composition, dance composition in my undergraduate work at Towson University. Excellent dance program. It's an excellent dance program. And I minored in theater there and also studied voice. I then went for my MFA in choreography to the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, and then moved to New York and performed in musical theater, in concert dance, and 
because of a very strange set of circumstances, ended up as the director of student life for the School of American Ballet, which is the school to the New York City Ballet. So from there, I went on to university teaching in Missouri. I lived there for two years and desperately wanted to come back to the East Coast. And so I returned to Maryland to be the artistic director of Kinetics Dance Theater in Ellicott City. I was hired as business manager and then promoted to artistic director. Can't get away from it. No, that's right. And then simultaneously, I was teaching at the Carver Center for Arts and Technology in Towson, helping to build the dance and theater programs there, and then ended up founding and running a professional theater company in Rehoboth Beach for eight years, and then moved back to Maryland, to Annapolis in 2012 to help build the Performing and Visual Arts School for Anne Arundel County Public Schools, their PVA program. And while I was there, the fine arts position at the Maryland State Department of Education came open, and I was strongly encouraged to apply for it, which I did. And from there, I realized pretty quickly that my role there was to move that office into the digital age, Mm -hmm. which I did. And we rewrote the Maryland art standards for state curriculum writing, did a lot of good work around the task force report that Ames put together. I was about to remark that was around the time of the P20 task force on arts education. Yep. So we really moved all of those initiatives forward. And then this position came open at the Maryland State Arts Council. And once again, I was strongly encouraged to apply for it. And uh, here we are. Throughout your entire life, you've just been terribly, terribly busy. There's no real change. (laughs) No, no, that is very true. (laughs) I want to actually go back a little bit to where you were as the artistic director of the merged traditional dance companies, because you're right that it, it, it really is irresponsible to put that level of responsibility and commitment on the shoulders of a child slash young adult. But I wonder about, I think one of the things that we're moving towards from the perspective of being part of arts education in Maryland schools, I think we're moving towards the idea of more student input about what they actually need to learn. And I wonder how much there was a a either generational or institutional conflict that you experienced. Mm. I think the conflict, and this makes perfect sense to me, the conflict there was that this group of adults recognized my talent and promoted me into that position to allow me to share my talent with that organization. And there's no judgment about this, but they didn't really know how to support a teenager in that role. Mm. So I think that was the conflict. You know, how do we gather around this young person who, you know, has some ideas about choreography and and how to elevate what we're doing on stage. And where is the balance to support the fact that he's still really a teenager? Sure. And I, I don't think the second part of that was part of the equation. And that's, you know, that's understandable. People do the best they can. And I will say, from an arts education perspective, and as you know, and as I've explained, arts education has been a commitment of mine all along. I have always taught, even as a very young person. And as my classroom practice developed and deepened, the real success came when I realized that the best teacher is someone who walks into the room with a group of students 
and tosses a creative idea into the center of the floor and is willing to say, I don't have the answer to this, but this is my suggestion for a problem to solve that will elevate your learning. Mm. How do we get to the answer to that together? And that's a very different model than I have all the answers. And if you behave in the way I think you should, I'll share some of them with you. Right. Right. And so it really was the commitment to that practice of shared exploration with students that not only solidified my own practice, but solidified my love for the practice. There's something engaging on both sides from the student perspective and the teacher perspective. If your ego is out of the way and you say, here's a creative problem for us today, let's go at it. There's nothing more engaging than that. I'd say that's one of the one of the things that in the overall sphere of learning that arts learning brings to the table is a situation where exploration and learning can take place without a destined goal, but that along the way or that the process of reaching the goal when it is finally realized is in fact the the way that the learning occurs. There's a lot more room in which people can adapt it to themselves as well as a lot more room to interpret or make a creative case for why something is the right answer either in this moment or for them. Yes, as long as you're willing to accept that exact idea that the journey is the destination. It can be a difficult one, especially reframing from a mindset, especially from an educational perspective that has funneled down more and more into how best to prepare for answering standardized test questions. Yes, yes. I'd love to talk a little more about your experience as a teacher. If you could share a moment, uh, any of the levels of your teaching where you felt like you had a particular impact on a student or a particular aha moment. A big aha moment came to me while I was teaching in the Performing Visual Arts program at Annapolis High School. Annapolis is an interesting place because the economic diversity there is vast and the arts program there is quite strong and attracts students from um, all backgrounds to it. So I was teaching students who had parents that would regularly take them to New York to see performances. And I was teaching students who had never seen a velvet drape on a stage before. And the realization was that the creative process is truly the great equalizer. How we move an idea to fruition is the same for all of us. And by that, I mean the overall process is the same. Yes. Because it is about how I learn and own the very concept that I can have an idea and turn it into something that has never before existed. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big moment is that when we clear away content, when we clear away art form, what we're left with is, can we share our own ideation with students? Mm. Can they see in us that can we model a way to create something from nothing and allow them to find their voice in that? That's what it comes down to. And that was the big learning there. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. I really look forward to attending your session Pivoting Toward Creativity. It's happening on Monday, May 11th from 1 p.m. to 1.45 p.m. And uh, 
good luck with your schedule because I, I know that MSAC has really put the pedal to the metal to bring support to the artists of Maryland. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for this terrific conversation. Really my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative. Thank you.